If you would, uh, would you bow and pray with me? Lord, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for this time that we have to gather together. We pray that you would uh, just bless our time in your word this morning. We pray as we open your word, as we think about this uh, great prayer that Paul prays for us, uh, about knowing you more fully, that you would lead and guide us in all truth, that you would take uh, just what we're talking about, what we're praying about, what we're seeking in you, and you would make this a reality in our lives. Uh, We confess uh, that we cannot do this without you. So we ask that your spirit would move in this place, that you would move freely, that you would take the truth of your word and that you would apply it to our hearts and our minds. Uh, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that we could comprehend and understand and, and do exactly what we're looking at in this passage today, that we would know you more fully, that we'd know the fullness of your love in Jesus and the fullness of God in all things. And so we just uh, pray that you would do that work in us. We confess we cannot do that. And so we thank you. Uh, We thank you for this opportunity to gather together, uh, to open your word, to spend this time and pray that you would be glorified in all of it. Uh, We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A few years ago, uh, Joanna and I went, uh, we got to go to the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've ever, ever been there. Uh, I'd always wanted to go. And so we took a trip uh, together and we got to go to the Grand Canyon. And we got there um, late in the afternoon. And I was really excited. Uh, if you've ever been there as you drive, we, we flew into Phoenix and then drove up. And so we were the, the southern rim to go to the Grand Canyon. And as we drove up, it's a beautiful drive. It goes from desert to mountains to all this wonderful stuff. But as you get close to the actual Grand Canyons, it gets kind of like not all that exciting. It's just like some trees and not much else. And uh, we got there. We got parked. We went uh, the night before we got to our place and it was about to get dark, but we wanted to see. And so we walked from where we were staying over and it's all trees and you can't see anything until you get to the edge of the rim. And when you get there, it is breathtaking. It's incredible uh, just what you see and the vastness of it. And being able to kind of take all that in. And so we did that. And then the next morning we got up really early. We're still in Eastern time. So we got up at like 530 in the morning and we were out there really early. Uh, and we got to walk on these trails and we got to look and we got to see and experience. And just every trail you go on, you, it's the next turn is more beautiful than the last. And it's so magnificent and it's so vast in front of you. And as we did that and as we walked, we would we would come across different people that worked there. Or I remember, uh, I think it was a bus driver that was one of the, the just that took you around to different stops and, and people would point out different things. And somewhere along the line, we were at one of the out looking over this incredible vastness. And somebody said, yeah, you realize that's the Colorado River down there at the bottom. And it's like you're straining to see what looks like a string. Right. Like you can barely even see it. It's so far down. And they said, yeah, you know, the Colorado River is um, 100 feet across at its smallest. And in most of the, what you see here, it's 300 feet across. And so you're looking at that little just line that you can barely see. And they're telling you that's 300 feet across. And they're like, oh, yeah, and it's a mile over a mile down to where the river is. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like you knew it was big. And you know it's impressive and it's beautiful, but the more time you spend there and you start to hear some of those things and the more you walk and the further you go and the bigger it gets. And it's overwhelming about how beautiful it is and how big it is 
and you start thinking about it, and then people tell you stories of going down into the canyon. Uh, one of the guys was telling us that people get lost down there every year. That people go in and they think they know what they're doing and they get down there and real quickly they don't realize how large it is and then they get lost and they got to go find them. And so the longer we were there and the more we experienced, the, the bigger that you see it is. Right? And so I, just with that in mind, listen to what Paul says here. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I thought about that trip to the Grand Canyon. And as you went and the bigger it was and how vast it is and how you just feel like you're scratching the surface just a little bit. And then we hear Paul here praying that we would know the fullness of an infinite God. A God that's infinitely bigger than the Grand Canyon. A God who spoke the Grand Canyon into existence in a moment. That very God that he's praying that we would know the fullness of it. And I think, man, I've spent time at the Grand Canyon and I've been there and I walked there and I saw it and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface on how big it is. And then I think about Paul praying that we would know how the fullness of the love of Christ, that we'd be filled with the fullness of God. And the question that immediately comes to mind as he's praying that is how is that possible? How do we ever get to the fullness of who God is that Paul's praying for us here? And so that's what we're going to think on together this morning. This beautiful, soaring prayer that Paul prays for the early church. Uh, if you've been with us, uh, we took a break for Easter of about a month and now we're back to our series in Ephesians. So we started Ephesians at the beginning of the year. We took a break leading up to Easter, looking at some things through the cross, but now we're coming back uh, to Ephesians. And so Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes from jail in Rome, early 60s. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, but from what we know, uh, most likely it was a letter sent to the church at Ephesus, but then was circulated around the early church. And so this is written to early believers to encourage them. And we could break it down real simply like this. As we're finishing the end of chapter 3 today, chapters 1 through 3, Paul's hitting on some big, heavy, weighty things of theology, of who God is and who we are in light of that. And then starting next week as we jump into chapter 4, he gets to a lot of practical application of what it looks like to live these things out. And that's the way Paul writes a lot of times. He goes real heavy on the theology, and then he goes to this application of what it looks like. And so today we're going to kind of wrap up that section by looking at this prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. And so this is the way I want us to look at it. First, what is Paul praying for? And we're just going to kind of pull apart those different sections. What is it he's actually saying? What is he praying for us, the church? Right? It was written to the early church at a specific time and place, but it is for believers of all time. All of these things are true about us in Christ and who God is. And so what is Paul praying for us? That's the first thing. Secondly, how do we get it? How is this even possible to begin to get at what Paul's saying here? 
And then lastly, we're going to consider just why this is so important. And so let's look at this prayer that Paul's praying for us and just ask simply, what is he praying for? And so he says, I I bow my knees before the Father and I'm praying for every family in heaven on earth that is named. And he says uh, that according to the riches, he might grant you. And then he's going to say three things here. The first, that you'd be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that's the first one we're going to look at. Then the second one, that you'd be rooted and grounded in love that you might have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. And so you'd be rooted and grounded in love. And then the third one, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a pretty huge prayer. He's saying a lot of big things there. And so I want us to take each one of those as what he says and just think about what it is he's praying for. And so think right there at the first part that you might be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And the first thing I want to say as we as we look at that, as we think about what it is he's asking, he's not praying that you would have the Holy Spirit as a Christian. And the reason I say that he's not praying that you would have the Holy Spirit as a believer is that all believers have the fullness of the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. When you become a Christian, when you put your faith, when you see your sin and you see your need for Jesus and what he's done, it's because of the Holy Spirit is working. He's illuminating your heart and your mind. He's regenerating you. Paul talks about this in Titus chapter three. The regeneration of the Holy Spirit working in you is bringing to light what is true of you and what is true of God and what he's done in Jesus. But this is as you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he continues to remake you and to point you to who God is and what he's done. Hear what Paul writes in Romans chapter eight. You who you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He says, if you don't have the spirit indwelling in you, then you're not a believer. He says it just real plainly and real clearly that this is what it looks like. If you are a believer, the very spirit of God is now in you. The Holy Spirit now lives in you and it's uniting you with Christ. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. And so just off off the start here, he's not praying that you would just have the Holy Spirit. It's something other than that. Paul writes elsewhere and the Bible tells us clearly that you become a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. So what is it that he's praying for? Verse 17, look at what it says there. We go back to the end of 16 strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Right. And he's using these together and you always see them together. The spirit, when the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, it is united with Christ. We're Trinitarian. We believe the father, the son, the Holy Spirit are all God equally together perfectly. And so the Holy Spirit indwelling in you is, is uniting you to Jesus. And so he talks about them both ways. 
But I want you to see where he says there that it may dwell in your hearts. And just thinking about that word for a second. It's a word that carries with it this this permanence. It's not transient. It's not waning or growing at different times, but it's a fullness at all times. And he's praying that we might understand that we might be strengthened with the spirit that the, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And as I was thinking about what exactly does that mean? I was reading through some different commentaries and I love John Stott. And he's wrote a wonderful commentary on Ephesians and he says it this way. He says that the Holy Spirit would be settled down into our hearts and control and strengthen us in Jesus. That we would begin to recognize the Holy Spirit is with us in fullness and begin to strengthen and control and operate in that way in the Spirit in all things. And I think that's a good way to think about what Paul is praying for us here. And I think the reality a lot of times is we might have a head knowledge of what Christ has done. And you may be a real believer and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and you go, yes, I believe that. And I know the doctrine and I say that. And yes, I become a Christian and the Holy Spirit comes into my life and he's dwelling in me. But it's not a real presence that you would say, you know, in your life. Or maybe it feels like it's waning and growing at different times. It's really clear and strong at certain times in your life, but certain times it's a struggle. And we're not living in tune or we're not feeling like we're walking with him at all times. Or we don't feel like he really is, as John Stott says, he's praying for us here. Where he's settled down into our hearts and he's controlling us and we're walking with him in everything. And Paul's praying that we would know that. And that we would live that way. But I think the problem is oftentimes uh, we don't live that way. We're not in tune and in step with the Spirit in all things. And we're not seeking God regularly in all things. And so what it ends up feeling like is it is waning. And it is growing. I had a professor who used to say, oh, when you're walking or you're not walking with God in your life at different times. You feel like you've turned your back on him. You know the things that he calls you to. The things that he says. And you're not really walking closely with him. And say you feel like you're walking and that God's way over there and you're walking and you don't want to look back because you know he's way over there and you're struggling along. They said, and then you turn back and and God meets you there. And he said, but what you realize is when you turn back is he was always right here with you. That he wasn't way over there. It's like your shadow of like he's right there with you always. And it's you who's kind of pulling away, but he's right there always. And as such, we feel like the spirits may be waning or growing at different times, but he's always right there with us. And so what he's praying for here is that we'd be we'd be sensitized to to understanding of the Holy Spirit living in us and with us at all times. And and when that happens, uh, when we're presented with the truth, uh, hopefully in a sermon or in the songs we sing, or when we pray, or in a Bible study, or you're listening to a podcast or with other people and other believers, and the truth is presented, you sense a real and nearness of God. And because that's what the Holy Spirit does. 
the truth is proclaimed and the Holy Spirit makes it alive and active and applies it to your heart. And so when you hear that and you hear the truth of God and your heart leaps within you, that it's the spirit and you're being sensitized to the fact that he's there and Christ is dwelling in your heart. I think that's what Paul's praying for here. That we would recognize that and we would see it in all things. That there's a, a safety that comes in that. It's not a detached head knowledge that I go, yeah, I have the Holy Spirit and he's with me, but it's now a reality that is very true to me and I feel it and I know it. And it comes in concert with God's word. That's the first part of what Paul's praying for, that we would know that, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. That we would know the Spirit strengthening our inner being and applying that and seeing it and, and dwelling and, and, and living with us. Not transient, but fullness in all things. But then the second part he prays for here. That being rooted and grounded in love. And there's an analogy that he uses there. This, this well known to us, it's not something I think that that we have to cut through cultural distance to understand when he uses that analogy of being rooted. What does that mean? I mean, you understand, I think most of us, we could go around the room, you understand to some degree the way a root system works. Like like a tree outside, you see those great, big, huge, tall trees. Or you see the great big one out here. If you've ever seen a tree like that when it's pulled up or dug up and the roots go way down deep. Well, what do the roots do? They feed it. It's how it gets its power. It's how it grows. It's how it's fed. And Paul's praying here that we would be rooted and grounded in love. I think grounded, he's saying the same thing like a foundation. What grounds us, what keeps us where we are. And what he's praying is that we would be rooted and grounded in God's love, that we'd be stabilized and fed by the love of God in all things. And that's going to flow out in loving other people. Paul didn't make this up. <laughs> this is not his idea. You can go read John 15 and Jesus says all these same things. Abide in me and abide in my love. And you'll bear much fruit. And he's talking about abiding in his love and, and love others as I have loved you. And I think Paul's saying the same thing here. And he's talking about being rooted in God's love. And when we're rooted in God's love, it's going to change the way we operate and the way we respond to things. It's going to change the way we look at the things that are going on around us. And I think the truth is, I think part of why he's praying this, that we'd be rooted in God's love, is oftentimes we're rooted in a whole lot of other things. We end up being rooted in the circumstances of our life. These things are happening to me right now, and I'm letting that fuel my emotions and how I feel and my mood and the things that are coming at me. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm praying that you'd be rooted in the love of God. And when you are, when you're rooted in God's love, what happens is you're less afraid and you're less selfish, you're less needy, you're less self-absorbed, you're more even on a lot of things. If you know the love of God and it's influencing the way you operate in all things, then the circumstances that come at you are going to be met in a very different way. 
And so Paul is praying that we'd be strengthened to know God dwelling in our hearts and with us, that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. But then look at what he says next. You may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses the knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so he's praying for something beyond uh, just the head knowledge. Right? I mean, he says to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I think we always see together our affections fueled by what we know. You don't divorce the two. He's not saying check out your mind and I just pray that you have this feeling. It's going to be the two together. Right? Because he just says to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. There's something that we know about it. That then leads us to something greater that we might be filled with the fullness of God. And so if we just think about what he's praying for us here, then I think he's saying is that, that he's talking about an affection that Christ would be more and more real to us. In everything. In our entire life, in all things, that Christ would grow to be more and more real. His love, his approval, his opinion... That Jesus would be more affecting and more sweet and more at the center of your life than anything else. Again, these are things that Paul's praying for us, but he didn't come up with them. It wasn't his idea. It's what God tells us throughout Scripture. It's what Jesus said. When he says, come and be my disciple, to be my disciple It means to hate your brother and your mother and your father and everything else in your life if you're going to follow me. And it's one of those things that's real confusing if you open the Bible and you read that. He's telling you to hate a bunch of people. But what Jesus was doing and culturally they knew as he said it, is he's saying your love for me should be so much greater that it makes every other relationship in your life look like hate. It doesn't mean that you hate your parents or your father or your mother or any of those things. The Bible clearly tells us to love one another. It's not in contradiction, but it was a way that they spoke to make the point. And what Jesus was saying is you love me above all else. And I think that's exactly what Paul's praying for, that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That is so great that it influences everything you do and see in the way that you operate. That we would go deeper and deeper into the love of who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means for us and what he's done for us. And the truth is, every single one of us, when we think about our conception of who God is and what he's done in Jesus and we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit and we're learning as we're just scratching the surface. We're a lot like I was at the Grand Canyon. I know it's big. I don't even really have a grasp at all about how big it is. But I know it's big. I think the same is true oftentimes in our life. And maybe we wane and grow in that. At different times we feel it more clearly. So how do we get to what Paul's praying here? How do we get there? 
I read this and I see what he's praying that you might be filled with all the fullness of God that is. And he says he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I go, yes. I would love to have that. So how do we get there? So I want you just to consider a few things that Scripture tells us that I know are at least part of it. I don't pretend to have it all figured out exactly how to get to all that. But there's things that the Scriptures tell us very clearly. And the first thing I would say is that we need to be hearing and talking to God. And what I mean by that is word and prayer in our life. If you look at Jesus' life, this is an interesting study to do in the Gospels and you could do it in a week. Read through the Gospels and look at how much Jesus prays and how much he's speaking God's word. And what quickly comes out is every time anything is difficult, anytime anyone pushes him, anytime anyone challenges him, his answer is it is written. Every time. And I say that to, to say this. Why is it that we think the only person who ever did exactly what Paul's talking about? That is walking in the fullness of God's love, that seeing all of it exactly as it is, is Jesus. And we look at Jesus' life and we look at the practices of his life. He would get away to go pray all night. Before he starts his ministry, he would fast for 40 days. Everything he says is God's word coming out of his mouth. And yet somehow we've gotten it into our minds. We go, yes, I want this. And we think we can bypass reading God's word or praying. It's, it's really that simple in a lot of ways. If, if we want to grow in the abundance of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and we think we can do that without ever opening our Bibles, it doesn't work. God's gone to great lengths to speak to us, to reveal to us what he's like and how we know him and how we walk with him. And he's handed it to us and he's preserved it for us. And we have it in his word. And oftentimes we go, ah, I don't have time for that. And so if we're not going to seek him in the ways that he calls us to or, or just think about the times in the Bible or, or maybe not even in the Bible. You read what he's praying here for you and start to think about what would that look like in your life? Do you have any thought of what that would look like? That Christ is dwelling in your hearts and you're rooted and grounded in love and you're comprehending it with all the saints. And the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge is filling you with the fullness of God. What does that look like? As I read that and I thought about that question, uh, I thought about Acts 2. You know this passage in Acts 2? The church is, new people are coming into the church and they're being filled with the Holy Spirit and they're going out. And it says uh, towards the end of chapter 2 that all was coming on every soul. Right? The awe of God. And I think a lot of what Paul's saying here, that they know the love of Christ and they're being filled with the fullness of God, is similar to what it's saying there in Acts 2 they were experiencing. 
You know what it says right before that? That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the New Testament. Prayer, fellowship, and breaking of bread. And then they went out and they proclaimed it to everyone. And we see that and we go, yeah, what would it be like to live like that? And you go, but my favorite show's on, so I'll read my Bible tomorrow. It doesn't work. Those don't go together. And so if we want to start with what does it look like, I think it's spending time seeking on our faces God and the way He's revealed Himself. And I can tell you, I, I don't know that I've ever even fully or scratched the surface of living this. But the times when it's closer, it's because I'm seeking God in His Word. And I'm praying. And I'm coming before Him. And so I'm pretty certain, well, I am certain because God's Word says it, but I'm pretty certain just even the experience of my own life, when I'm seeking Him in those ways, He's more real. And so it begins with just seeking Him in His Word and talking to Him. One of the things we want to do as a church is to help you. If you go, I don't know how to read my Bible. That's okay. That's what we're here for. To help you read your Bible. You go, I don't know how to pray. Okay. We can help. We can do that. There's a lot of people here that are incredible prayer warriors that go, I'd love to help you learn how to pray. The second thing. And again, if you could go back to John chapter 15 and read Jesus' words. It says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And you go, if I want the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and to be filled with that. And then we read Jesus saying, if you love me, you keep my commandments. There's a clear connection there between loving Jesus and then obeying him. And doing the things that he tells us. And so obviously that would go back to reading your Bible and praying. But it's also uh, being on mission to love others. To give of your time and your money and your life. To do the things that Jesus calls us to do. But I want to be real careful as we say that. Yes, it's being on mission to make disciples that make disciples. We say that all the time here. But I want you to hear this because this is so important. I'm not saying that to be filled with the fullness of God's love, that you better get to work and work really hard and be really good and read your Bible and do lots of things so God will love you. The Bible never, ever says that. It's not the gospel. That's not who God is. And it's not what he's done for us in Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the love of God is not dependent on you and the faithfulness of God is not dependent on you. But as you begin to walk in step with the things that he calls you to, it stands to reason that you're going to see him more clearly working in your life. Right? I mean, that's just pretty logical. Jesus says, love me, keep my commandments. And we go... I want to love them and I want to know them, but I don't know about that other stuff. They go together. 
And, and I'll tell you again, from my own life, just the experience of seeing this at different times. Oftentimes, my affections follow my obedience. There's days when I go, I don't want to read my Bible. Maybe I shouldn't say that as a pastor. There's days when I'm really tired and it's like, ah, I'd rather just lay on the couch. I don't really want to do that today. And you know what happens every time I do it? I'm never like, man, I can't believe I just wasted all that time with God. I never read my Bible and seek him in prayer and go to him and then go, I really wish I would have just laid there and watched that stupid movie. It hadn't happened yet. And my affections often follow my obedience. And so we go, man, how do we begin to grow in that? And I think part of this is simply you begin to take up the disciplines that God calls you to. You pray. And you read His Word. And you spend time in fellowship with other believers. You share your faith. God's at work in all of those things. And as you do, you begin to see that He's working in these things. And so sometimes we struggle and we walk in sin rather than obedience. Sin is ignoring God and the world He created, rebelling against the things He told us. And John, in 1 John, he talks about walking in the light and walking in the darkness. And if you're walking in the darkness, then you're not walking in the light. It's a pretty simple idea, right? And so we go, I want to know Jesus and I want to know his love more fully, but yet I'm going to continue to walk in the darkness. How does that work? It'd be like going outside in the middle of the day and looking for the stars at noon. They're not there. I don't see them. Oh, well. I think that's the way we often live. I walk in the darkness and I ignore the things that God clearly tells me. And then I wonder why I'm not filled with the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so we obey the things that he's told us to obey. But then the last thing, I'm going to put these two together because I think they're so important. Notice what he says there. Verse 17 and then 18. That you'd be rooted and grounded in love that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Notice how he says that's going to happen. To have the strength to comprehend and then he says with all the saints. And so the last thing I want to put these two together is that we're going to live in a gospel fluency. I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a second. As we walk together. Right? Because he says that you'd have the, the ability or, or to the strength to comprehend with all the saints. That there's part of this that happens in a community together. We're never created to be a Christian that it's just me and God and nobody else. You never see that in the Bible. But he says, with all the saints. And so we say here a lot, we talk about this idea of gospel fluency. And I'm trying to explain that just real quickly, what I mean by that. You know what fluency means? We're fluent here, I think everybody here, in English. We speak 
English. You know the words that are coming out of my mouth. Do you understand me? We can talk. You don't have to think about it. It's just quickly, you got it. Being fluent in the gospel is taking the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and seeing every bit of your life through that lens. And so when we say the gospel, we mean that we are broken, sinful people that have been broken in our relationship with a holy, perfect God because of our rebellion and our sin. And no matter what we do or how obedient we are, or how much we read our Bible or how much we pray, we can never do enough to repair that broken relationship by our works. But the good news The gospel is that God is so loving and so just and so merciful and so caring that he's come to do what we could never do for us in Jesus. And so Jesus lives the perfect life. He does all of it perfectly. He dies the death that we deserve. And in his death, he takes our sin upon himself. He does away with all of it. He pays for every bit of it. He defeats sin and death. He rises again. He gives us by faith his righteousness. You are now perfectly loved and accepted and made new. And that is the way God sees you. And it is all because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. And the resurrection is proof of it. And Jesus is going to come again and he's going to complete every bit of his work. And we're going to see all of it in fullness. That is the gospel. And it includes that he took our sin, but he also gives us his righteousness. And you are now a new creation. You're not what you were before. And so to be fluent in the gospel is I have to see every bit of my past, present and future rooted and grounded in the love of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so when I blow it. When I blow it in my daily life. I need people to come alongside me and look at me and say, God loves you and he's forgiven you and you're made new and he loves you as much as he's ever going to love you right now today. Completely and totally. And he's forgiven you for that. And yes, you're still in process and yes, you're still making mistakes and yes, you've blown that, but he's going to complete the good work that he started when he returns and he's going to finish it All of it. You know what happens? We do that with the saints. I'm remembered. I'm reminded that, yes, I'm more sinful than I could ever believe. But I'm more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. And it's all because of Jesus. And I need to hear that every day in everything that I do. I get up and I read my Bible and I pray and I do some good things and I go, ah, look at me. And I need somebody to remind me. And the only reason you're doing any of that is the grace of God in your life because he's making you new in Christ and it's all Jesus. Yes, it is all Jesus. And I need the gospel to be applied to my pride. I need it to be applied to when uh, I'm afraid to confess my sin because of what people might think of me. They go, no, no, God loves you completely and totally, and He's already taken care of that. And you're like, oh, yeah. You know what happens when we start to live that way? 
gospel fluency rooted and grounded in love with all the saints. The joy of Christ that surpasses knowledge begins to fill your heart. I am forgiven. And it's all because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. And even though I'm frustrated at where I am today, he's going to finish it. It excites me to get up tomorrow and to try again, even though I know I can't do it. I know Jesus can. And it grows. But we have to be able to speak that truth to one another. To be able to comprehend with all the saints. And so we begin to seek to do that. To encourage one another in the truth of of what God has done and who we are in Jesus. And when we do, you go, why is this so important? One that we see ourselves as we are. In Christ. We sing it all the time in Christ alone. My hope is found. Do we believe that? Do we speak that? Do we live that way in every moment of every day together? That the fullness of Christ's love would overwhelm us in everything? I think about, well, why is that so important? I go, Jesus came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. And I think oftentimes I'm like I'm standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon going, yeah, it's pretty big. He's going, no, I want you to know this. I want you to know this in fullness in a way that you've never known it before. And so we begin to do and seek together with Jesus right at the center. A fluency of the gospel and everything. We begin to take on those uh, practices that God tells us to. But all the while pointing to Jesus. And when that happens, instead of settling for less... Remember what Paul said, I read it to you just a second ago in Romans chapter 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead also will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Do you get that? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in you. And you go, why is that so important? That's exactly what Paul says here at the end. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God has so much more for us. And so often we just kind of go, ah, good enough. I want us to grow up together in all the riches of full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus. Be rooted and grounded in his love. And so that that would be us as a church. That is so my heart of hearing Paul pray that and go, yes, that would be us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of your gospel. That you love us completely 
and totally and fully. I pray this morning You would make that so real to each one here. That through Your Spirit, through the Holy Spirit moving in this place, You would take the eternal truth of Your Word that You love us and it's all because of what Jesus has done and that we can rest in that. I pray that we'd leave here today greatly encouraged by that truth. That no one would leave here beat up thinking, oh, I need to leave and go read my Bible more. I need to leave and go do all these things. But we would be so taken with your love for us. What you've already accomplished, what you've already done, that we would want to seek you together in all things. We pray that we would see a fullness of your love in every area of our life as we seek to love others the way you've loved us. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.